you turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Resettling refugees 
uh, as well. So I had the opportunity to ask him a lot of questions about that, uh, where people are coming from and why, and, and just how this process uh, is done, as people are often coming from distant places, very different cultures, very different economies, uh, and so on. And of course, it involves training and guiding people in, in living in a new place, uh, and how to live in the United States. Not that there isn't some great flexibility, but, but there's also a need to understand new norms and new culture and language and how to act and what to expect and what to expect in the economy and the workplace and, and so on, the school system. Uh, and many of these cases are, are permanent resettlements. Uh, so the task is, how now do, do you live in the United States? How do you be an American in some period? You're no longer living in uh, Syria or Colombia or wherever well, I want to draw this, this parable, that, this parallel, that as Christians, we also have a changed citizenship, a changed kingdom. That we're citizens of heaven, as Paul says, uh, not ultimately of the world or of the United States. Um, and the difference between these two kingdoms, the one we come from, the one we're in, uh, is stark and absolute and, and total in many ways. God has rescued us from lostness and hopelessness self-destructing kingdom into his holy and blessed kingdom. But until glory, until the Lord Jesus returns, we still drag a lot of junk from the old kingdom right, into, our, into our lives in this new kingdom, assumptions and norms. And so we're in, in desperate need of refugee resettlement, if you will, uh, learning what it is uh, to live our new identity within this new, uh, this new kingdom. And the Gospels point us to that in many, many ways. The Gospels, first and foremost, are about Jesus. They're about who he is and what he's done, how he's come to provide salvation uh, for people who place their faith in him. But second to that, much of Jesus' teaching uh, is about what it means to live in his kingdom. What his kingdom is like, especially in his parables. We see that over and over again. What is his kingdom like, especially in unexpected ways? How, how should we understand this kingdom? What is its character? What is its... What are citizens like? Um, how do they think? How do they talk? How do they act? Uh, how are we to live as, as grateful new citizens of this realm? So this morning, once again, looking at a parable here, a, a few parables. It's really the third piece here that's a, a clear parable. Um, but our humble king calls us to kingdom humility. The kingdom of humility in the context of three dinners, three banquets. Really, four if you count the one that Jesus is literally at. He's literally eating uh, dinner uh, as he uh, speaks. So, three points before you, your outline there. Each of these covers one of these dinner lessons um, built around a hypothetical meal on kingdom humility. So, let's consider first <coughs> kingdom humility, meaning not seeking the place of honor. So in the red verse one, we see Jesus is uh, at an actual meal, at an actual dinner party, uh, at a Pharisee's house, who's invited him over. Um, and it says they're watching him closely, but in verse seven, it's Jesus' turn to watch them closely and observe what's going on. Uh, the, the custom here, the, the setup would have been traditionally a U-shaped table that they're, they're sitting at and the host um, who would be the most important person there would be at the, the center. And then traditionally, the most 
honored guests would be at, at his right and left and, and kind of work their way uh, down uh, from there uh, in terms of rank. And Jesus observed that some of them were coveting and eager to get those spots right next to the host. Um, they were eager to be seen in those spots and to be well thought of by the other guests uh, at, at the dinner. Uh, Jesus has observed this kind of thing in the Pharisees before. Uh, in Luke 11, he said, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Not just friendly hellos, but they loved the, the fancy titles that people used for them. They loved for those to be shouted to them so other people would hear. At the synagogue, they loved the reserved seats up front, not because they wanted to be close to the Word of God, but because they wanted to be seen and, and honored in that way. And so Jesus gives this little scenario here. He says, when you come to a, a dinner party, don't take the best seat right away. Um, sit at the last seat so that the host might come to you and say, no, you, you move up and, and you'll be honored. Uh, otherwise, you might have to be removed and go to the only seat that's left and you'll have to walk this walk of shame past all the other, of the other guests. But let the host honor you. Now, on, on the surface, it seems like maybe Jesus is just giving some, some culture savvy tips here, almost like it's uh, self-serving advice. You know, if you really want to be honored at a reception, you're just, you're just um, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's giving an illustration of, of the basic point that humility is always the rule for his people. Don't promote yourself. Don't seek honor for yourself. Let others honor you. We, we read that explicitly in, in Proverbs just a few minutes ago. Proverbs 27 says, Let another one praise you, not your own mouth. Someone else, not your own lips. Let others praise you. Don't promote yourself. But Jesus is also making a larger point in this, in this whole passage we read here. It's not just about dinner parties and, and social interaction, but about your standing before God. And the humility that you have before uh, the God of this kingdom, that becomes clear in, in the last parable that we'll look at. But it's not, it's not your evaluation of yourself that ultimately matters, it's God's evaluation of you. And you're, you're standing before a holy God. He turns to that larger point in verse 11. Uh, here's the summary of the little illustration again. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, not everyone, every last person will experience what Jesus speaks of in, in the scenario he gives. You know, you take too good a seat and you'll be demoted sometime during the dinner. Um, but in the kingdom of God, everyone who exalts himself, everyone um, who supposes that they are righteous or great or secure because of who they are, because of what they have done, God will humble you one day. God's judgment will expose your unworthiness and your pride one day. But those who humble themselves, who accept God's evaluation of themselves, um, that they are poor sinners in need of grace, will be exalted. God's mercy alone, because the atonement of Christ, will, will exalt you, will be honored, adopted into his family. But that will ultimately be uh, a gift of God. Uh, it will be his grace received by faith. It won't be by asserting yourself and trying to climb into that role. And in all of life, as members of God's kingdom, we need to remember God's evaluation. Remember that 
By his standard of holiness, you and I are nothing. We deserve nothing. But because of Christ, you're eternally, uh, already, unconditionally loved and lavishly blessed and, and a number of his family. That's nothing that you can do of yourself and nothing that we can gain, no honor that we can gain in this life compares at all to, to what we have already. Christ. Um, we don't generally have socially ranked seating um, in our worship services. I'm not aware of it yet. Uh, if you do. Um, or at our dinner parties, um, maybe the closest parallel would be a wedding in, in the sense that we often have seats of honor at a wedding reception where certain people are honored um, in an appropriate way. I have heard people complain at wedding receptions about where they are sitting or who they have to sit next to. So maybe the specific example is not so far from our cultural. But are there not many ways in our sinfulness that we seek the seat of honor? That we promote ourselves, we present ourselves to impress or be well thought of? Or the way that we talk about ourselves or how much we talk, the way that we dress, there certainly are massive implications, I think, for how we use and interact with social media. In terms of promoting ourselves and seeking honor. But for the follower of Christ, humility is always the rule. We know about our sin. We know about grace and true blessing and honor. We also have the example of Christ who humbled himself. To the point of becoming a human and suffering and dying. Uh, and now being exalted. Well, Jesus makes another point then about the outworking of humility. He first then addressed the guests and how you would humbly be a guest. Uh, now he turns to his host, the, the Pharisee who has invited him. Uh, in verse 12, he went on to say to the one who had invited him, uh, looking at number two on your outline, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, you don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, what, what is Jesus instructing here? Maybe it's helpful to consider what he's not saying first. He's not saying, don't ever invite your good friends or your relatives or people that you have fun with or enjoy particularly. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus isn't laying down an absolute rule. About There's nothing wrong with reciprocal hospitality. You know, you, you have me over, and then I think, why well, I'd love to have them back. And, and you know, it, uh, that, that, that expression of love would be reciprocal. Uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But what Jesus is talking about reflects the fact that Christian, uh, the Christian is motivated in everything he, and she, he or she does by the mercy of God. The, the blessing and reward that we have already. We don't use social interactions and so on to, to gain uh, honor for ourselves or, or benefit for ourselves. Ultimately, verse 14, he says, And you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So our hospitality is ultimately, uh, at least in some part, has to be governed by that motive. And that hospitality that's governed by that one will not be restricted simply to having showing hospitality to people that you really enjoy, that are comfortable, that are like you. Um, 
You won't ask simply, what do I get out of it? How do I benefit from this? It will include other people. It may not literally be the poor and blind and lame, but people who are unable to reciprocate. People who aren't as fun or easy for you. Or uh, it will be entirely for the sake of, of others. They're not simply uh, for your own enjoyment. I think more than we're aware, maybe more than we're willing to admit, that there, there is in our friendships, in our uh, hospitality, in our social lives, uh, self-serving motive mixed in, often. That's just the reality in, in a fallen world. We tend to invest much more in people who give us something back. Right? Not, not so much materially, but socially and emotionally. Um, people who make us feel good, are more fun, and we have more um, more to relate to with them, and so on. And a lot of that makes sense. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's a good gift in, in one sense. But Jesus' point is that those interactions, those relationships, uh, don't necessarily fully demonstrate the mercy of God. Those aren't necessarily an outflowing, uh, an illustration of the fact that you really understand and want to extend uh, the full mercy and grace of God to others. Uh, those relationships, those invitations are good and good gifts, and, and there's room in those for uh, extending grace and showing kindness and mercy and so on, but, but they don't necessarily witness fully to the grace and kindness of Christ who, who stooped you know, unspeakably and died uh, to show you mercy. Uh, there are other people you might consider. Jesus um, spoke very similarly back in Luke chapter 6 when he was speaking about love when he said and <clears throat> if you do good to those who are good to you it's fine as far as it goes you should but if you do good to those who do good to you what credit is that to you? He says. even sinners do that we might you know, meshing that with what Jesus is teaching here if, if you only show hospitality only show hospitality to those who are fun and easy and relatable and those who are in your inner circle. What credit? Jesus goes on there. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Uh, even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High because He is kind to be grateful and wicked. How many of you kids have seen Charlotte's Web? Seen or read Charlotte's Web? Adults do. Um, do you remember the little rodent in the barnyard? What's the little rodent's name? And Dumbleton, <clears throat> double times in the story, helps out. Right? Uh, he, uh, he goes to find something that's needed. But what does Templeton always ask first? What's in it for me? Right? What's in it for me, Charlotte? Uh, too often, I think, if we aren't conscious of it, uh, we're acting and maybe evaluating actions or friendships or so on, like Templeton. What's, what's in this to me? How invested should I be? Uh, how, how worth it is it for me? The, the point is, the genuineness and, and fullness of your apprehension of the grace of God, the humble grace of Jesus towards you is worked out in the love that you show to others and to whom you show that to others, especially in an area like hospitality. 
Now, some, some people are more gifted or more resourced for hospitality than others. That's fine. Um, there are many ways to show hospitality. It doesn't even have to be in your own home uh, or, or a dinner. Um, but it's something that's commanded of all Christians, just as we're reflecting on what Jesus is teaching here. And one mistake that's often made when um, spiritual gifts are discussed uh, is too sharply dividing them. Um, as if each of us has one. You have that one, I have this one. So you do that, I do this. <laughs> Most of those things we speak of as spiritual gifts are commanded in the New Testament of all of us. They may be gifted and resourced in various ways and, and degrees. And, uh, but hospitality certainly fits that. Paul says to all of the Roman Christians, seek to show hospitality. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews, chapter 13, do not neglect to show hospitality, even to strangers. First uh, Peter chapter four: Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So the, the challenge here is to what kind of hospitality would demonstrate that you have understood God's grace most, and, and that you desire His reward and blessing above any other social benefit. Um, it, it takes time and energy to be a friend, to give help, uh, to give encouragement. It's not easy to invest. Uh, I should say, it isn't it easy just to invest in those relationships that have the greatest return, where there's more reciprocation and relatability and comfort and ease. And again, those are, those are blessings. But is it not easy to place less value on those who are less comfortable or harder to talk to or unable to give much back or they're not so much an encouragement to you or they talk too much or whatever, whatever the case may be? So, a challenge to all of us to think who, who fits the description that you know, or uh, in principle at least, of, of who Jesus is speaking about here. The, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Um, who ought to have your attention by Jesus' commanding example? As you, as a member of the kingdom of God. Are you thinking of yourself, or do you sort of do a subconscious self you know, cost-benefit analysis socially, um, or are we kingdom-minded, looking to those that we don't know as well, or harder to love, or harder to talk to, people we don't, uh, maybe we don't know their needs as well, as we should. All of this points to, again, what our compassionate Lord Jesus did uh, for us. Well, the final parable here, looking at number three on your outline, we're all called to listen and respond to the Lord of compassion. So Jesus had addressed the people at the meal, then he addressed the host, and then just as he, he finishes talking about who he might invite, uh, in verse 15, someone you know, blurts out, well, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And, and there are multiple anticipations in the Old Testament about the fullness of the kingdom of God being like a feast, right? That's the imagery of feasting in the kingdom of God. And it's not exactly clear why this guy raises this here. Maybe he's trying to deflect from Jesus' very challenging um, teaching about generous and impartial hospitality. And says, well, isn't it just wonderful we'll all be there in the end? Um, but immediately it says, but Jesus said to him, and he tells this parable, I think the challenge him, will, will you even be there? Are you, are you sure you are going to be 
but that peace in the end. So the parable Jesus tells as a wealthy master of a house pictured probably in a small town and he's throwing a, a great dinner, a great feast and he's sending invitations out to his friends, uh, to honored guests and you know, not totally unlike sending invitations out to a wedding reception uh, like we do and everybody accepts. Everybody's coming. They all RSVP. And verse 17, the day comes uh, for the feast and he sends his servant out to gather everybody. They would, in the ancient world, have been working on you know, strict time schedules like we do. We say, you know, come for five at five forty-five for dinner. That's when we're going to eat. Uh, it would be more. The day comes and you do all the preparations. It takes however long it takes, and then you send your servant out to tell everybody that dinner is ready. Um, and, and just imagine putting this into a modern-day scene. Imagine a wedding reception. All the guests are there at the reception and, and milling around, talking, waiting for the bridal party. The bridal party arrives and the MC stands up and says, Everyone's here, the, the, the food is ready, you know, come sit down and eat. And everyone immediately starts awkwardly for the door, you know, mumbling excuses, I, I gotta go. And everybody leaves. You know, that's, that's really kind of unthinkable. It would be rude and embarrassing. Uh, insulting uh, to the bride and groom and bridal party. But that's essentially what happens here. Everybody said they're coming, nobody gives any indication they're not, and then the feast is all prepared and everybody has excuses. And Jesus gives three example excuses here. The first, verse 18, a guy says, well I need to check out some land that I bought. That, that's in, intended to sound like a, an incredibly plausible excuse. Um, he would have inspected carefully and measured and checked out the land before he bought it, just like any of us would before we buy a house. Um, but especially in the ancient world, land was passed down from generation to generation, often owned for decades or centuries. And someone would have um, inspected and negotiated the price. One, one ancient commentator said this often would take a year to negotiate. So it's kind of a, a ridiculous excuse. Very similar to the next one, verse 19, I bought five yoke of oxen, and now I need to go check them out. And no one would buy one oxen without carefully inspecting it, negotiating the price, and then buying, especially if you're buying pairs. They have to fit or go with each other. Um, and then verse 20 is an uh, equally lame and irrelevant excuse. Uh, I have a wife. <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> so all of these are, are intended to be inadequate and intentionally, um, publicly insulting reasons, especially given the great honor of this invitation. One um, uh, very helpful uh, ancient uh, Arabic commentator uh, commenting on this, that the service com servant comes back and tells the master and he's angry. Uh, Ibn al-Tayyib uh, comments, here the master of the house became angry because he knew the excuses were vain and the apologies were insults that demonstrated the hatred of the guests for the household. That's what, what's intended in this parable. But what is this parable picture? Well, the master certainly pictures God and his invitation, his promises to his people over the centuries of the banquet of eternal blessing and life with him. 
that was to come in the future. And the, the servant that sent out probably pictures Jesus. Right? Become a man, sent to humanity, humiliated himself, come to humanity to announce that salvation and blessing, to announce that he's bringing it, and call people in to it. And yet what was the reception to Jesus by uh, the Jews? Particularly the leaders Jesus is sitting with here. Well, it's essentially... Now we're looking for something better. Right? We're, we're not interested in what you're offering. They had other priorities than the kingdom of, of humility and cross-bearing that Jesus was proclaiming. And, and their response was rejection. Again and again, Jesus, especially in his parables, warns about those who are part of the church, part of Israel, but are excluding themselves by not submitting to, not listening to, not receiving Jesus. Just back in the previous chapter, Jesus said that many will seek to enter and will not be able. And then he concludes this passage here, verse 24, and I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Of course, he's implicitly speaking of the Pharisees who are not receiving and the warning to you is, don't let that be you. Right? Whatever you think your association with God is, you are not His if you have not humbly submitted to His Son, Jesus. A Savior and Lord. That, that's the doorway into His kingdom. Well, the story goes on, the Master is angry, but then He turns that anger into costly, gracious invitations to, to more people. Uh, verse 21 Go to the streets and the lanes of the city, bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And, and the servant goes out, comes back, says, We did that. We brought them all in. There's still room. And the master says, Go out to the highways. Go, go far out in the city. To anyone and everyone that you can to come. The invitation to salvation is open to anyone and everyone. Inside of Israel, outside of Israel, educated, uneducated, poor, rich, anyone who will acknowledge their need for Jesus and accept his invitation is what the scriptures. I want to challenge you, you ought not to read this, this parable and think, wow, Jesus, God's invitation goes out even to people who are poor, people with problems. That's generous. You know, even communists and criminals and, and so on. Right? But that's that's you. And me pictured here. In terms of this parable's imagery and progression, it pictures first the, the Jews, maybe the particular Jewish leadership here, that those who would be most secure, surely in their place in the kingdom of God. And then they have rejected, and the masters rejected them, but the, the invitation goes out to everyone else. Into the highways and the hedges outside of the city to other nations the Gentiles, people far away from God's covenant people. That's, that's you and me. Uh, in our sin, we're all like country beggars or criminals or people who would have no, no expectation or hope or right of ever seeing the Master's table uh, in this parable. Just note that the, the language Jesus uses in this parable, verse 21, they went out to invite the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The, the same exact language that he had used in encouraging uh, those who are hosting a dinner. 
This is how you're to reflect the grace and mercy of God to others, invited uh, those people. Uh, the final lesson I want us to take from this is, um, again, that you're called to respond now to Jesus' invitation or to be shut out. That's, that's the part of the real teaching of this parable. A part of the point is this banquet will not be delayed. It will not be canceled. It's, it's going on. It, all the seats will be full. Uh, others will be brought in, but, but you could miss out if you don't respond. At any moment, we'll face judgment and miss your place in the great feast of the eternal blessing of God. Uh, if you do not receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Uh, there will be a moment in time, and biblically speaking, that's at your death, when it's too late, right? when you'll face judgment, uh, if you do not receive and submit to this invitation. i just close by saying I was reading recently a small children's biography of Jonathan Edwards to my kids, and there was a page or two in there about his most famous sermon, most famous sermon in American history, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where uh, Edwards illustrates those who are putting off responding to, to Jesus' gracious invitation. I'll do it later, or just ignoring it. And he, he illustrates that as, as if they are those walking on rotten boards over the pit of hell. And yet they can't see, they can't tell which, which boards are particularly rotten. Um, they can't tell which board will be that, that moment when they will face uh, judgment for eternity. A car accident, a fire attack, or whatever that may be. Uh, but the door, all the while, the door to front ground is, is flung wide open through faith and repentance in Christ. So listen to Christ and come to Him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word again this morning uh, through Luke and telling us of uh, Jesus' uh, teaching uh, full of illustration and application to us, thinking of meals and hospitality. I pray that you would impress these things on us this morning, that you would teach us uh, kingdom humility and the way that we uh, love each other and love uh, others who are in our lives or who perhaps you'll bring into our lives or help us to understand uh, fully the, the grace and mercy that you've extended to us uh, that we would be more willing uh, to extend that to others. We pray all this uh, in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.